Hi everyone and welcome to the first podcast of the Centre for Health and Dietary Research. My name is Shelley, I'm a PhD student at UCC. And I'm Barry, I'm a master's student and involved in the blog. We're going to talk about a few presentations which were there at the Institute of Public Health Conference Knowledge for Health last month and uh, the theme is democratizing health information. Hope all of you enjoy it. Thank you. So to get the ball rolling, we had a conversation with Alcohol Action Ireland. We first talked with a researcher who was brought in to look at the impact of advertising. And after that, we hear from Kathleen, who uh, gives us a quick overview on the alcohol bill, which is in the process of legislation. I'm here with Cathy uh, Ann Fox. And uh, would you like to tell us what your study is about, please? Yeah. So uh, my study was about alcohol marketing and young people's drinking behaviour in Ireland. Uh, so the main aim of the study was to look at uh, levels of exposure um, amongst uh, adolescents uh, towards alcohol marketing um, so, and also to explore the associations between the, the, this exposure and uh, their drinking intentions and drinking behaviours. So the main methods that we used, uh, it was a cross-sectional study design, so we did questionnaires with young people around Ireland in different uh, post-primary schools and we also um, did an alcohol marketing diary with them. So um, they were able to record um, experiences with being exposed to alcohol advertising. So um, I suppose the overall um, findings of the study uh, were that um, engagement in in alcohol marketing uh, was one of the strongest predictors of alcohol drinking behaviours. So engagement in terms of actually owning alcohol branded merchandise and interacting with um, with alcohol marketing online and different things like that. So that was a, a, a significant finding of the of the results. Um, so basically, just going forward, that this is something that public health policy should take into consideration. That we need to not only target um, exposure to alcohol advertising, but also their actual young people's engagement with it, and how alcohol branded merchandise can have a significant effect on their alcohol behaviours. That's incredible. Wow. Thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, we got funding through the One Foundation and the National Lottery um, to, uh, to do this research, so that we commissioned uh, Cathy Ann and her team and NUIG to, to do the research for us because Alcohol Action Ireland, we're a campaigning and advocacy organisation and um, it's, our, it's our remit, I suppose, to, to highlight what's going on in terms of how alcohol marketing is, is happening. It's happening both online and, and in traditional um, media and how young people are being affected by it. But that is only one aspect of, of, um, of the work that we do. Uh, we also um, work um, campaigning around uh, primarily a piece of legislation called the Public Health Alcohol Bill. And the Public Health Alcohol Bill, if, it, if it's enacted and become, becomes law, um, will we'll deal somewhat with the issues that Cathy Ann discussed, um, whereby um, alcohol marketing to children, uh, so young people 18 and under, uh, is, go is going to be restricted uh, through this piece of legislation. So it's a very important piece of legislation that is currently in the government's, uh, the, the, the programme for government. So we're very hopeful that this legislation will become law before the end of the year. Very promising. And if anybody wanted to read about the, the new proposed act, uh, where yeah, absolutely. Go? So our website is alcoholireland.ie, and on that you can find all the information you need about the public health alcohol bill, and also about Cathy Ann's research. Fantastic. Thank you. Very much.
That was Alcohol Action Ireland. Next up is our very own researcher, uh, Shelley. She's going to give us a run through on the global burden of disease. So uh, the main thing was everybody's worried about dietary risks and low physical activity. So uh, the title is uh, Selecting Non-Communicable Disease Burden from uh, Dietary Risk and Physical Activity for the 1990 to 2013, mainly focusing on the two years. So we, as we all know, like if we eat improper food, we die sooner, we have disabilities, we have problems. And recently, you know, the World Health Organization report, which uh, was quite a hype, stated that uh, processed meat is carcinogenic, which had a lot of problems around. So we need to find out what's the I Irish data, what the Irish population is at a risk of. So uh, this study is like uh, based on the Global Burden of Disease study, which was conducted by the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation uh, under the University of Washington, Seattle. And uh, they have calculated the disability adjusted life years and then years lived with disability. And also the deaths which are attributable to particular risk factors. In particular, we are more interested about the dietary risks which are subdivided into groups like high in processed meat, high in sodium, then uh, low in fruits and vegetables, and then physical inactivities like when you don't, uh, you have less than 25 hours per week working or you are like your ex expenditure of energy is less than 4,000 kilojoules so things like that and then uh, the main results which you can say is like around Ireland has improved considerably over from 1990 to 2030 in terms of these like we have observed around 2600 fewer NCD deaths because of improvement in dietary pattern and low physical activity levels it has improved but only 100 100 deaths more deaths were observed because of uh, diet high and processed meat so that is a concern for us that is like we have to have effective policies which could probably tackle the uh, processed meat or the policies related to processed meat stricter policies and then also the physical activity levels if you see the graphs you will see that the physical activity levels is always ranked higher than all the other risk factors so probably we need to have more stricter implementation of uh, food policies as well as the physical activity just like you know the British Heart Foundation they have their own national center for physical activity and health such a sort of foundation should be there in Ireland in place to keep the uh, motivation or rather to push people to have more physical activity to have proper food such sort of uh, policies should be made in place in Ireland, I think. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. And you anticipated all my questions. Oh. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm Lorraine Fahey. I'm an information analyst with the Institute of Public Health in Ireland. And I'm here today with my colleagues, Kevin Milland and Adam Kuhn, and we're here to launch the Community Profiles Tool app. Very good. There's been a lot of buzz about it. Can you tell me a small bit about it? Yeah, well, we, the Cute Profiles tool has been there a couple of years now. It's part of we've the overall Health Well website, which is Health and Well, Health and Wellbeing Research Information website, and there's a number of tools on it. One of them being the Cute Profiles tool, so people can create a local health profile, whether it's for their own area, and um, they can look at a number of indicators. They're all grouped into themes. From the themes will be look at maybe childhood, different chronic conditions like diabetes. Um, there's obesity in there, 
mortality indicators, older persons. So kind of cross-cutting across like social terms of health. Very good. So very wide. Very wide range. Upstream, yeah. Yeah. Downstream, the whole yeah. lot. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And where do you get the data from? The data comes from a lot of organisations. Maybe it could be the CSO, different departments, whether it's not just Department of Health, it could be Department of Education, um, maybe some from the HSC. And then the fact... The Institute of Public Health is all Ireland, so we've data there from Northern Ireland also. So with some of the data you can compare, you can have the same underlying, an indicator can have the same underlying definition so you can make a comparison. But unfortunately all the data you can make a true comparison between North and South, so there might be some underlying differences there. Okay, so comparison with North and South with caution? With caution, yeah, and all our indicators, we've metadata with all our indicators, which gives a full explanation of them. So we encourage people to read the metadata to so understand. transparent. Everything's transparent, yeah, yeah. And who do you see as people using this? A wide range, like obviously public health professionals. And in the last few years, because we, we do provide training on the tools, and we started going out to the universities. So UCC, we started a number of years ago with the public health students there. So we give them a training session. And I think it's good for them to see, because I know... In university, you know, you can have such a wealth of information around you, but when you go out and work in an organisation, there could be less library resources, less places to, you know, to get your hands on different research. So we encourage the health will then, or train them in the health will then, and the computer office tool, how to use it. And they might use the tool specifically now, but maybe, again, when they go out in the working field, there'd be more benefit to them. But then with the new computer office tool app, and I suppose we've gone into the area now of GIS, so it's a bit more interactive interactive graphs, maps, whereas they were static previously, but it's getting into more interactive, so it's keeping up to date with the technology. Very good. No, I'd, I'd have experienced myself. Um, you've come down and given us a talk in the Masses Public Health in Cork. Yeah, and, that's right. Uh, yeah. Health, yeah. Quite a lot of but now it's gone on to app, so this, yeah. this is something that anybody can use on their phone. Or yeah, and it's both Android and Apple, so, so you might be in a meeting, you want to find out, oh, I forgot a piece of data, um, spring it up on your phone. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so it's on the move. Right, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That app is available to download at publichealth.ie, the Institute's of Public Health website, or available at the App Store, both Google and Apple. So, now next, we have a fascinating conversation with Professor Mary McCann. She heads up a research unit uh, which is part of the Tilda project in Trinity. Her area is specifically intellectual disabilities and ageing, an area which she considers to be uh, an area that's completely under-researched. In fact, uh, she reckons the longitudinal might be the first of its kind in the world. Um, have a listen and hope you enjoy. My name is uh, Professor Mary McCarn. I'm from Trinity College. Um, I'm the principal investigator of the intellectual disability supplement to the Irish Longitudinal Study in Ageing better known perhaps as IDS tilde. So this is the first time I suppose that we have had in history really that people with intellectual disability have ever been included in tandem with a live lot with a generic study in aging. Oh, yeah, so for the first time Ireland is leading out on something so now we will be able not only to understand how people with intellectual disability age in their own right but how they age compared to an age matched general population. This is a very marginalised population, a lot of health inequalities, very different patterns of disease. And this is the first time in history we have ever had an older population of people with intellectual disability alive. They simply didn't live to old age. It's incredible. And what stage are you at at the moment? We have just completed two waves. We are uh, now preparing to go out into the field for wave three. 
So we are in tandem with the, with the generic TILDA study in, in terms of, of, of data collection. We usually run X amount of months behind them. And is all the data comparable? Is it does it work well? Pretty much so. We have done a lot of stuff in relation to, to, to mapping the data. Comparability is key, of course. So we have used as, as much of that uh, to be comparable as possible. And then to put in stuff which are unique to people with intellectual disability, which we need much greater data around. And perhaps we have less data around things like the, the, the economic piece that Tilda would have, or uh, children and spouse, because most of this population were not married and they didn't have children. And most of them were not ever employed and they don't have any income or wealth. Interesting. And what were the challenges in coming up with the indicators? specifically to do with intellectual disabilities? Well, obviously we knew what were key and important things, but we have a very innovative approach to, you know, while there's a very strong conceptual framework that underpinned the study, similar to TILDA, uh, we also had a very far, very uh, well-defined values framework, which also rode on top of that. And that was really about the inclusion of people with an intellectual disability from, from its inception. So we had a series of focus group interviews with people with intellectual disability throughout the country, helped them to explain, to understand what we were collecting, and I really got from them what was missing, what was really important to them. Um, so we used that along with obviously international literature and other key policy that was emerging that we knew we would need data on. So for example, we interviewed this population back in 2008, before major policy was implemented, such as the move from congregated settings into community-based settings. So now we should be able to track what that move has meant in terms of health and well-being for this population. Oh, that's very fortunate, isn't it? Isn't it just extraordinary? Brilliant. It really is extraordinary. So it, it was really, really opportune. So, so we, you know, so we have a, like a, they have about 11 PhD students on the project. Uh, all from very different backgrounds, from medicine, nursing, psychology, sociology, dental, pharmacy. Uh, so it's really very, 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 very much strongly multidisciplinary. And um, so, so, so that's very exciting now for Is us. There yeah. any, I see here you've got a fantastic selection of posters. There must yeah. be, oh my God, there's well over a dozen. Is there anything that stands out at the moment that you'd like to talk about? Well, I think, you know, there's some of the big challenges, of course, around, uh, around this uh, cohort. Uh, particularly, for instance, if we were to look at the issue of dementia. For example, dementia in people with Down syndrome, we know very is, is, a, is, a, is a major issue. That is about uh, a huge proportion of this population will develop dementia as the age. Mean age of onset is about 51 years. So we've seen that from between wave one and wave two, that the prevalence of, 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 of dementia doubled from about 15.9% to almost 30% during that three year period. Um, and, and then other issues which emerge, yeah, yeah, sorry. Okay, and and uh, that, that is a genuine prevalence coming up, that's not a measurement? Oh no, 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 that is, a, yeah, absolutely. We, we know that and, we, and I probably feel it's an underestimation because we had asked if people had, if, you know, if you had a doctor's diagnosis, we didn't actually do formal assessments. So many of this population, of course, are not screened, they're not assessed. There's a huge dearth of knowledge in relation to, to how to assess and monitor decline cognition and memory in this population with very, you know, um, limited memory clinics, specialised memory clinics to address this issue. 
And just before I finish up, would you have any advice for any researchers that are looking to co come into this area? Uh, well, certainly, firstly, we would be really glad to talk to them. We have people, you know, co-supervising people from right across the country. There's a lot of data here. Uh, so we just really want the data used. Like, we're interested now in moving into the whole economic end and including a large economic component in future waves. Yeah. That is fantastic. Thank you very much for spending time with All me. All right. Okay. So you heard it there, researchers, data is up, available, and uh, you've been invited to take it, use it, and start working on it. Uh, just as we finish up there, Professor Mary uh, McCarran, she got into a little conversation about new exciting research that hasn't been published yet, but uh, I'll leave her explain the rest. But a piece of the data I think that's also extremely interesting now is, is I'm interested in, of course, disease pathways found very different disease pathways in this population so I'm not seeing the classic cardiovascular disease, cardiovascular stroke, cardiac stroke diabetes at all despite a population that are hugely overweight, obese and inactive. Mm. So the prevalence of, we did objective measures of hypertension in wave two, in wave one we didn't and I was afraid to talk about the cardiac story because I thought well I'd probably measure for hypertension in wave two and it'll be through the roof is that these people haven't been diagnosed. But hypertension was much lower in this population. The prevalence of stroke, the prevalence of heart attack was... was, was, was hypertension was nearly 50% lower and measured objective hypertension than the general population. And we matched the two data sets. Oh my God, there can so be gems. I think, I think there is absolutely gems here in this population. And so one might ask, people have asked me, what do you think is driving that? And I think perhaps that there is something that we are, you know, I mean, uh, cardiovascular disease, hypertension are, are major, major, major critical issues that we need to crack. But one of the major differences, of course, is lifestyle. Mm -hmm. This population are not worrying about careers, mortgages, children. All so psychosocial, of psychosocial elements. elements are grossly different. Fascinating stuff there. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody who contributed to the podcast. Uh, especially the researchers for taking time out to explain their work. Uh, I'd also like to thank Kevin Belanda and all the team in the Institute for Public Health uh, for hosting the event, Knowledge for Health. Uh, in the show notes, you'll find links to all the contributors and researchers and their work. And uh, also, if you have any feedback, uh, we'd very much welcome. We're just getting going, so expect this to get a bit more professional and more refined. But until then, all the best.